up. Welcome to a very, very special. Yeah. It's Emergency the, edition. That's right. That's right. Uh, honestly, it was like, uh, I think there was maybe a, a, like a police escort for the entire 650 crew to get down to the studio. This is the busiest it's ever been in a long, long time. And it's Saturday morning. But yes, it is a special emergency edition of Canucks Talk here. It's Jamie Dodd. It's Thomas Strands. And of course, we are convening on a Saturday morning to break down the massive, massive news. Elias Pedersen signing an eight-year, $92 million deal to remain with the Vancouver Canucks beyond this season. What a week and what news to wake up to for the Canucks. So the first thing I think we should say here, right, is this is the biggest piece of Canucks news of the season. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't think it could be topped short of a Stanley Cup win. You can argue Western Conference final because being in the final is still such a it's big a huge, deal. huge deal. Such yeah. a like life for 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 hockey fans in this market just watching your team play in the Stanley Cup final and we don't know what it's like in this market to see the team win it. But but we but, know what it's like for them to be there and it's a big deal. We know that it's like a staple moment in your yeah. like childhood or or life as a hockey fan. So so maybe it's Western Conference final, but effectively you need to win 12 to 16 playoff games. Mm-hmm. I think to match this in terms of the impact of this news, it's the biggest contract uh, in team, team history. history yep. It's the four makes Pedersen the fourth highest paid centerman in the NHL. Only Austin Matthews, Connor McDavid, and Nathan McKinnon uh, will be on cap hits higher than Pedersen's next year, and. In some ways, it removes a ton of the oxygen that has fueled some of the narratives that I don't think the club's been happy with and that we know that Pedersen has been feeling. feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, you can kind of see it in terms of his performance over the course of the past month. And yet, for all the criticism we've seen of Pedersen in this market, most, mostly, most of which we've described as unfair or uncalled for mm-hmm. or silly, um, he's ended up locking himself up with the Canucks, max term deal. At a wildly team-friendly cap number, right? There's other things in the contract that are favorable to the player. In fact, the team's seated on all of the window dressing stuff. Now, right. well, easy for me to say that is not my money, but this contract is effectively buyout-proof, right? It's like as front-loaded as it gets, which makes it hard to buy out yep. because of the way that the NHL system calculates like cap benefit and then punishes teams for getting cap benefit. I don't know if we've seen that in this market before. <laughs> and then... And then obviously the signing bonus structure. I mean, you're really at the point where even if you're looking to buy out the deal in like the last year or two of the deal, it makes no sense, no financial sense. This is as close to guaranteed as you can construct a contract. Plus, it's got a full NMC. Full no move, yep. So on all of that side stuff, this is heavily tilted toward the player. But from a team's perspective, if you're signing a guy who, you know, since the calendar year 2022 is seventh in the NHL in scoring, he's one of well, he's one of one in terms of sub 25 year old or 25 year old or younger 100 point centerman in the game. Uh, he's essential mm-hmm. to this team's to this point, wildly successful retooling project, you know, to get this done and to get it done at a cap number that will not in any way materially impinge on your ability to surround him with a championship caliber uh, sort of supporting cast uh, that is just a massive win uh-huh. for this team. Yeah, and the you know the, as you said, look the buyout proof stuff, the bonuses, the full no move. I mean, that's exactly what a big market team like Vancouver should be yes. doing, should be willing to do to make sure all the other stuff is team friendly. And really, from even go back to August, right? And and if you had pitched eight years, eleven point six. 
I think everyone would have said that's a home run. Then when you consider the fact that it dragged on into March, that we started to hear the, you know, the reports of, are the Canucks getting frustrated that he won't want to negotiate? And even after the Frank Saravelli bomb uh, on Wednesday this week saying, hey, they're back of the table, could be an eight-year deal, you know, from Wednesday through <laughs> Now, now, now official Woo. scoop of the year. Yeah, no kidding. But but after that, we did see her, you know, well, eight years or maybe six. Hey, four, four to eight, somewhere in there. We don't know where the term is going to be. They got eight years. They, yeah. they got it done before the deadline, despite all of this uncertainty. Eight years, max term, and they didn't have to pay a premium. Like, I'm not going to go full hometown discount here, but... If, if, if Patterson had wanted to absolutely maximize every dollar he was going to earn, he could have done he could have got a lot more than this. Like it is from where we were just a week ago to now have him at eight years, 11.6 before the deadline is phenomenal. So there's a couple things we've spoken so much about this. Oh, yeah. On this show. And dating back to the summer, there were only a couple things that I felt were solid that mm-hmm. I felt like I knew solidly and that and that it wasn't like moving vapor or stuff that people you know if i had any insight into it it was third hand fourth hand as opposed to being direct there were there were a couple things that i felt firm on one was maximizing overall income was not going to be petterson's priority Mm -hmm. and two petterson really does like it here in this city living in this city um, those were sort of the two things I felt firm on. And then I had no sense of like why he preferred to wait, what the thinking was there, uh, on and on. I-, I do think ultimately the final outcome sort of shows you that those things were at least front of mind, right? That if Patterson had wanted solely to hit like a home run third contract, he could have done so, oh, yeah. right? If Patterson had wanted to leave... You know, if that was his primary motivation, he was pretty close to the point where he could have, you know, flexed Mm -hmm. his muscles in that way. That ultimately wasn't what was instructive here, right? It seems like once the club found a way to get leverage, and and by the way, you got to give them a ton of credit for figuring that out, given how, you know, the rule that we talk about, and I actually think this case is a fascinating example of it, is that the closer you get, to being out of contract, the more leverage you get as a player, yep. right? And and I think we saw that play out, and yet the Canucks sort of found a backdoor way to, you know, I don't want to say force a resolution or something, but no, certainly but to, stimulate talks. To get people to the table, yeah. right? Because I think there was all, we always had the sense that once there is, once Pedersen decided, I want to be here, the actual negotiations shouldn't be that difficult. And I think we saw that play yeah, out. It's a kind of paint by numbers. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Okay, what, 72 hours, roughly, after after he said, okay, let's start negotiating, because it's not as if there was a lot of mystery about the range he was going to make here. Tuesday seems to have been like the crucial day. Yeah, so it was always just a question of how do we get him to take that first step, right? Mm. And you know, it's look. It was his prerogative. It was completely within his rights to say, you know what, I don't want to. I don't want to do it right now. I want to wait. It was also complete. The team was also completely within their rights to figure out how do we change his mind on that. Yeah. They were able to do it. They were clearly able to do it while not damaging the relationship because he just signed up to stay here for eight years. Yeah. Although, although in the business, what they'll say, what people will tell you, right, is. You know, agents considering long-term deals with teams that aren't good, stuff mm-hmm. like that. What people will tell you is, you know, sometimes the way players are counseled to view it is, you know, take the money when it's available. Right. That you doesn't can always mean try that, to do something. Later. That doesn't sure. mean that you're necessarily locked into that team forever. So I, I'm, no, I'm not saying that to. 
um, you know, specifically pertain to this, but just when you said it, it does set off that like uh, rule of thumb that I yeah. always keep in my head. No, and that's fair, but still, like, yeah. they did it. They got him to the table and they got the max term. Yeah. It wasn't like, okay, fine, I'll do three years. You know what I mean? Totally. That could have been a possible outcome here. They got him and they got him committed. And they got him committed and they got him at a really reasonable number. I mean, looking at like, we spent so long talking about 12, 12.5, all of that. To see it come in under 12, I don't know what the stunning. Op- I don't know what the opposite of sticker shock is. You know what I mean? Yeah. But it's that in this case, and it's a hundred k more per year in terms of the cap hit than what William Nylander got. Did. We we knew when that deal was signed, we were talking about how that sort of set the floor. Mm-hmm. I, I think there was a sense that unless Pedersen really dragged this out, the the two twelve point six for McKinnon was going to be the a ceiling. ceiling. Yeah. So you know, again, paint by numbers, there was a relatively narrow band, but. He comes in at the very low end of right, that band. Right. The Pedersen floor, sorry, the Nylander floor was seen as like sort of, um, you know, an interesting but ultimately soft floor. Mm-hmm. And instead, it turns out it was like a floor with real gravity, which given the fact that Pedersen has significantly outscored Nylander over the course of the last two and a half years, uh, given that he's younger, given that he plays a premium position, it's almost hard to square that. With this contract outcome, that's how favorable it is for Vancouver. It's interesting to me. So he'll be making the same AAV as Artemi Panarin. I believe Panarin signed that deal in 2019. Now, 100%. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not going to say that Panarin's like overpaid or anything. Like that. Phenomenally no. productive, he, incredible player, one of the top ten scorers but, since 2012. But still, Patterson's a center. And he's signing this deal five years later. And I know it's mm. been flat cap growth in there, right? But the fact that he's going to be making Artemi Panarin 2019 money, you know, in 2027, in 2028, like this is going to, it might, P- you potentially might, with a $95 million cap. I mean. This is going to look like a bargain, not in five years, even necessarily, no. like in two or three years. People are going to be saying, like, wow, that's a really, really good number to have a lead special, especially because it's his third contract. We're yeah. so used to second contracts being the big bargains. And look, it's still 11.6, but. This is going to look, this is going to age really, really well. This is such a team friendly resolution that it even makes the bridge deal that they did, which was widely misguided mm-hmm. and really was an example of the club playing with fire, look far better in retrospect. <laughs> retroactively. Yeah, yeah. Retroactively, it's like, hey, they, they <laughs> nailed somehow it. it worked out. And it's like, yeah, it just required signi- a full year of gut check time and some ingenuity yeah. to, to grasp the leverage back from the player. It, it, it required a masterclass from the Canucks front office, frankly, yeah. over the last. I mean, over the season, really, when you think about all the, like, the amount of times they've said, we want to throw money at them, we're so ready, and then the la- the machinations over the last week. Like, fascinating whoo, stuff. It is absolutely uh, fascinating. That, uh, truly high noon stuff from Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvin. <laughs> no now, kidding. I know this isn't like the most interesting point to think about in the wake of this news, but I do just want to quickly, mm-hmm. given how we've seen Besser and Pedersen play out, and given how we've seen, for example, Demko and Hughes play out, right, where you take a gamble mm-hmm. on elite talent, and when it hits, like, oh boy, you are rubbing your hands together laughing, right? I mean, I actually wonder if it should be... I've always been someone who thinks bridge contracts are silly, but I actually think with how the pressure amps up in this market in particular around great players on expiring deals, given the the gravity of the United States at the moment in terms yep. of, uh, you know, magnetizing players to depart uh, from north of the 49th. Like, I actually wonder if second contracts in particular with what we've seen over the last four years if there's an actual competitive advantage for this team in particular, now you you got to get it right. You do need to take the needs right to be the role. right player. Needs to be Demko and not Cal Peterson. Don't get yes, me wrong. Yes, but you know, given given how. 
placid things are around the players mm. who are able to lock in quickly. And given how off the chain, overwhelming the noise gets around the guys who are bridged, I really think it's something the club needs to keep in mind the next time around. Like, I, I don't I think bridge contracts are bad business anyway, but I, I, I think they're actually especially bad b- business in this city. Yeah, well, it's just it's a it's a ticking clock as soon as you sign it, basically. Yeah. Right. And if things don't go really, really swimmingly, you find yourself in a very difficult position well, in a hurry. And it's a sign of a lack of commitment one way or the other. Yeah, always. Um, all right. Other thoughts on this? I mean, first of all, just from a we're, we're looking into the future, and I think this is we can get into that a little bit more. But just in the here and now, you know, Pedersen has spoken this week. I know he spoke at the press conference. Like, yeah, of course I hear the noise. We've seen some body language stuff. I think it's fair to say from Pedersen in recent games. Obviously, this is weighing on him. And as the Canucks look to get out of this little slide here, I mean, I just think like think about the team, the atmosphere and the vibes around the team today, right? Like one of the leadership group just cashed in on this massive contract. You're flying down to L.A. You get to play the Ducks tomorrow. I mean, I, look, I don't want to look into my crystal ball too much here, but like I'm kind of expecting a Pedersen heater. And this could be we talked about like. Uh, on the show this week, hey, sometimes when you're struggling, you just need something to kind of shake things up. I don't know if this fits that bill, but it's just in terms of a, a good vibes moment for the Canucks. I think it's a really fascinating, again, to get it done before the deadline, to have the conversation completely flipped on its head from what is Patterson going to do to holy cow, he just signed here for eight years. I'm fascinated to see what it does for Patterson on the ice uh, and what it does for the team in general as they look to pull out of this uh, this slump that they've been in here for a while. Well, you can't miss the all-time get-right spot that is Anaheim on a Sunday coming off of a win in which they nonetheless surrendered 53 shots on goal. And one of your guys just signed a $90 million contract. Like, come on. Everyone's got to be having so much fun right now and going into that game in in Anaheim. Well, I don't think anyone's having fun, though. You know, like, one thing I often think about... I don't know. I think it's going to be a fun plane ride. I'm sure it'll be a fun plane ride to some extent, man, but do not ignore how tight shirt collars get when a team is one five and one over That's their fair. last seven it doesn't you know I, like did you see the but i, but I just did think you it's see like, the it's, a, it's a chance to think of something else you know what i mean 100%. to focus on something else for a little and hopefully bit. hopefully it gives them that boost but like yep. i was stunned by the posture of like Patterson and hughes post game after the Kings game. Now, look, I know there wasn't a lot to even stand up there and be like, there were aspects of our game we liked. You know, like there wasn't a lot to point to. Yeah. I get it. But I mean, if you'd told me that they were being ransomed, <laughs> I would have believed you from the body language and demeanor. You know? Shirts get so tight that the, yep. the the comment is right, there's two modes in the NHL winning in hell. <laughs> right? And that's and that's true. Like, I think you've seen that. So I, you just can't waste this Ducks get right spot. Absolutely not. Uh, especially because you've had these two ga- two days off. You have two more days off in Southern California. Mm-hmm. If you lose that game and then like that time in Southern California is like. It's a bummer. Is a bummer. You've got the Kings and the Golden Knights coming up. I think that's a that's a risky spot to be in just from a like team level emotional management perspective you got to take advantage this is like a a quietly high pressure game this is the get right spot of all get right spots i expect that they will yeah but they kind of have to (laughs) yeah though they have to go out there and uh i mean you want to see them put a beat down on the docks if they can but at least get the two points and you know looking beyond just what it means for the rest of this year and 
now look at least they have that cost certainty going into the deadline i keep thinking about just the the big picture implications for this team of getting the eight-year deal done and when jim rutherford signed his extension in january right you and i talked about this sense of revitalization of the brand right that jim rutherford has overseen this team is having this phenomenal year and we've seen it in our inbox talking to people on social media there is a sense of confidence and excitement from the fan base to this team that we have not seen in a long long time now you have Elias Patterson saying, I'm signing up for more of this for eight years. That's to me is just an exclamation point on this kind of revitalization project. Now, look, they have to keep winning. You have to you, you want to go out there and put in a good performance in the playoffs. You have to keep doing all of these things right on the ice. But there was a world that for all of the incredible work this team had done and Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvin have done, if things went sideways with Elias Pettersson, that revitalization could have gone away in a hurry, right? If, if things ended poorly in the spring and Pettersson was elsewhere oh, yeah. in the fall, the we're, story it, flips we're, fast. The story flips in a hurry. Getting him not just on a deal, but on an eight-year deal, having Elias Pettersson say, this is where I want to be long term. I think that's just huge for the confidence and the ability of everyone to be excited, right? To be excited and get invested in this team. They haven't had a core member of this team commit for this long. Even the JT Miller contract, seven years, right? Quinn Hughes, six years. This is the first time one of these core players, they've gone eight years max term with wow you're saying jt miller's not committed enough <laughs> well but even that one Hot take but even that one <laughs> that was a complicated deal because of his age so it wasn't just pure oh wow this is a home run right it was like okay i like jt miller but there's a lot of risk here totally. like this is eight years home run uncomplicated yeah. win well th think about it this way the Pedersen deal expires when he's what 33 mm -hmm. 34 mm -hmm. i mean it expires at the midway point of Miller's contract, where yep. the, the conventional wisdom has always been like, yeah, hey, the first few years of that deal are not what we're worried about. It's, exactly. the, it's the downside, the downslope, which, as we know, aging aging curves are only aging curves on, on a graph, right? On the ice, they're a cliff. <laughs> so with regards to this, right? The logic of this Hughes Demko window that you know we've been talking about, where you've got a Vezina caliber goaltender for five million and a straight up surefire Norris winner this season for seven point eight, is such a joke in terms of how favorable it is to the team mm -hmm. that it sort of naturally creates this through twenty twenty six you've got them both through twenty twenty seven you've got Hughes there, there's sort of this natural window around that and it happens to coincide with those years where you are most confident that you're going to get efficient sort of production off an eight million dollar cap hit from Miller and Patterson always slotted into that as like it doesn't matter you can't overpay him at least in the way that i thought about mm -hmm. it now that they've modestly well, and underpaid think, him. and i think the you can't overpay him is because that window would kind of be all for naught if all you for lose Elias Patterson, totally right That's so right. it's like well whatever the number is it won't work without him so we have to do it so now they have him locked up and it's to a totally workable number mm -hmm. through those years but it also goes beyond and this is essential right because Miller goes beyond two, but those Miller years in my mind have always been years that you're at least mildly worried about. Mm -hmm. I mean, maybe you move him to the wing, he keeps his power play yeah. utility, but he might be in a different, he's likely to be in a different phase of his career. And that's the thing. And even if it's not like a millstone contract, is he one of the two best forwards on a cup contending team well, at that point in look, his career, right? That's the question. This is the story for all UFAs. Like, think about what John Tavares looks like at the moment yes. for the Leafs. And he's like 
a 99th percentile positive outcome on the back end of one of these deals mm-hmm. and yet you watch them in the playoffs and you're like man you know I don't know about that speed mm-hmm. at this stage and and on and on he still played well for them but you know that next level of like he's the reason we're going to win mm-hmm. versus you know he, he you'd like him more at seven versus like he's complimenting one of our other star players yeah. right so that's sort of the line that we're talking about and mm-hmm. that's and that's again a, a you know f- far right side of the bell curve outcome on how Tavares has aged. Um, that's sort of more than anything. Yet. Now, Pedersen also extends beyond that Hughes-Demco mm-hmm. nexus, and that's crucial too because now you've got something solid. A star player, a face-of-the-franchise-level guy um, signed in, locked in to plan around not just for the near term, but beyond it. Yeah. You know, and that level of cost certainty, like turning what was this club's biggest planning question mark into certainty, not just for the near term, but through 2033 or 2034 or whatever it is, that's massive. Yeah. And I think, you know, game changer. One thing we had talked about, even going back to the Miller decision, right, was that there was this sense of the team was on this ladder of, okay, Miller's up now and Horvatter's up. You got to make really tough decisions on them. Then Pedersen's going to be up. You have to get that done. Then Brock Besser's going to be up for another extension. Then Demko, then Hughes. It was just this never ending series of your best players constantly being headaches in a way even as they're producing really well because you have to figure out these contracts and it makes planning into the future really difficult uh, and you just don't have that certainty Patterson takes that off the board now, right? Because if he had done three years, all of a sudden it's, uh uh-oh, he expires at the same time as Hughes. If he had done four years, it would have been, ah, he expires one year after Quinn Hughes does. This is going to be tricky. This is going to be awkward. He completely removes that element of being on the ladder, and it gives you a chance to kind of reset establishing that cost certainty, right? And obviously, look, the Demko decisions, the Hughes decisions, those are going to be massive. They're going to be complicated, all of that. But... Man, the fact that they were finally able to kick it so far down the future that it's not even like yep. thinking about right now for really the first time or the first time since Hughes, it's it's just it's a massive win. There's no other way to say it. It is an incredible piece of work by this front office. Well, on the, on the precipice of the most exciting posture that the team has had going into a prospective playoff run since 2014, um, at least, right? Um, you know, this stuff is kind of in the. On the back burner, right? Because now, especially now that Pedersen's locked up, and this is another side benefit. Now you just, you're laser focused on the playoffs. There's only one thing to focus on, which is how you do in the playoffs. Can you win a cup with this group this year? And yet, I do think it's worth noting having this certainty as the club approaches. And and look, you know, Hughes Demko, we can talk about because that's down the line. But as soon as this summer, you're going to have Besser extension mm-hmm. eligible, a, a big decision to make on Philip Peronic, whose leverage is super unique because of his production and his uh, arbitration eligibility and a ton of glue guys, like a ton of glue guys who have helped this team punch well above their weight this season. Right. Uh, all expiring. You know, Pedersen being locked up will influence that. But more than anything, what's going to influence that is what the team does now, uh, what, how they pull out of this, you know, mm-hmm. brief losing skid. And what they're able, fundamentally, more importantly, what they're able to do in round one, round two, 
And if we get Hopefully greedy. beyond. <laughs> beyond that. And look, this sets them up. This puts them in a position to do the most damage possible in the playoffs versus the alternative of not having it done. Or, uh, or of having damage done to them. Yeah, exactly. By a disappointing outcome. Oof. Um, all right, we got to wrap up here. There's like a lineup of people trying to get into the backup studio here in Sportsnet 650. It's all hands on deck at the Sportsnet 650 studios to record emergency Pedersen content. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Enjoy the game on Sunday against the Ducks. Hopefully it is that get right spot. We'll be back on Monday with more Canucks talk here on Sportsnet 650.